Welcome to the Being Known Podcast with my friend, Dr. Kurt Thompson. And my friend, the most beautiful man in the world. Oh, dear gracious. Pepper Sweeney. We Dude. are here to discover <laughs> and explore what it means to be truly known. Listen, Dr. Desire, <laughs> you better back off. You better just back off with that. Like, and look, it's hard for me to back off. Uh-huh. Like, you're, it's just so compelling. Yes. You're, it's too compelling. Yeah, <laughs> Captain it's Compelling, all- <laughs> that's what they call me. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Pepper Compelling Sweeney. Yes. Listen, welcome to, to uh, season seven of the Being Known podcast. And we are in a mini series here. We're doing this series on confessional communities because so many of you, our listeners, have asked about information on confessional communities. It seems to be a pretty hot topic within a lot of discussion groups and and that kind of thing. And so we thought this would be a good way to spend a little time with you all and give you some more information on this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So in today's episode, we want to just highlight that, uh, like we will in all these episodes, we're going to highlight that there are some additional ways to get more information about these confessional communities, one being through the Center for Being Known, where we do some online training and develop confessional communities. And then a more intensive version of that when in in our practice, New Story Behavioral Health, where we do in-person two and a half day to three day intensives. And we'll have one of those that are going to be coming up in December. And um, so anyway, just to bear in mind that what we're doing here, this is not a substitute for more, like I think, uh, rigorous training as far as it goes, but it is to give us a more grounded sense of what these things are about. Yeah, I would say that, you know, this is a confessional community 101, and um, yeah. you're all going to want to go a little deeper. So for sure, head over to thecbk.org is one place. And Kurt, what do you know offhand the website for your... Yeah, well, it's it's New Story Behavioral Health with Kurt Thompson, MD. I mean, that's. I think that I, I don't. I don't have the exact. Uh, yeah, we'll put link. It will be. Uh, we will put the link in the show notes for sure, yeah. and so you'll yeah. be able to go there and get more information. Yeah, but today we really want to focus on uh, an element of this process of confessional community that we haven't had a lot of opportunity to focus that much attention on. Uh, we've we've talked about it in in some respects, but it is this notion that. The primary purpose of these communities uh, is to form us, that they are formational communities, that it's, it's important for us then to know that we are people who are continually being formed. We Westerners would like, like we don't, we don't pay that much attention to the fact that there are forces in the world that are forming us. I'd like to think that I'm master of my own universe and I am primarily in charge of what is happening to me and what I'm thinking and feeling, and I am in charge of my formation. And as it turns out from the very beginning, it didn't start that way in the book of Genesis, the second chapter, seven verse, God formed the man from the mud of the earth. So we realize that we, from the very beginning as human beings, somebody else is forming us. And then when we get into attachment processes, we reckon, you know, baby comes into the world and that little baby's mind, right? She comes into the world looking for someone, looking for her, But in that process, she is going to be formed by those forces that are around her. And our listeners, you you all, we've all been formed, first and foremost, by the families that we come into the world to live in. And we first have a far more passive role, right? The 
the family is your parents, your siblings are forming us. Dude, I remember I was a, I hear this story. I I don't remember this because I was like nine months old. And I'd be in my, this is the story I would hear from my, my, my mother and my brothers would tell this story. I'm like taking a nap in my crib. And my brother, Jim, who was 16 when I was born, my brother, Jim, would, hey, he'd have, his friends would be over at our house. Like they were playing football or basketball or something. He'd say, hey, hey guys, come into the house. This, this is the story that I was told later. Come into the house. And I'd be taking a nap and I'd be laying on my back and Jim would say, hey, watch this. And apparently he would pinch my nose shut. Oh my gosh. And I would do one of these. And he would just do this. Oh. And he'd let my nose go, and then he'd pinch my nose shut. And apparently, you know, I was quite the entertainer. Yeah, yeah. You know, I have a, for a bunch of sixteen and seventeen year olds. I have a similar. So I was bo- I, when I was born into my family. I have four older sisters. And dude, well, first of all, my feet didn't touch the ground probably for the first three years because they were just carrying me around. But here's the story <laughs> that's similar to yours. When I was really young, I shared a room with two of my sisters, and I would fall go to bed before them, and unbeknownst to me. They would be hiding under my bed and wait till I'd go to sleep and they would take a glove and put it on a coat hanger and dangle it above my face and touch my face with it. And I'd wake up and I would just see this hand that was detached from anything coming at me. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Talk about trauma. Trauma. That's that's like three episodes right there. Exactly. (laughs) So- Okay, so our listeners, like these are the people who are forming us. <laughs> yeah. Okay, for me, this is this is what's forming us, right? The, like the, you know, gosh, with siblings like this, exactly. Like, oh goodness. So developmentally, you know, we first are you know pretty passive participants in all this. It's not like some you know you're, you're not asking for that glove of terror no, I'm not. in the middle of the night. No. As we age, we become increasingly active. In this formational process, I'm, I have greater and greater agency, and that agency is accompanied by choices. I'm then being given choices to make, and, and we see early in the game in Genesis, right? There's a choice between two trees. You've got this nascent human couple, and God says you have basically eat anything that you want, but then there's one choice. Hang on a second. I'm Googling nascent because I'm... I'm... <laughs> Just give me a second. <laughs> Just, I want to keep up. They're young. Oh, they're young. young. Okay. They're early. In the, they're early in their development. Thank you. Young and early in your development is like you. Can, I, I can come up with one word to say all that. <laughs> That's all I mean. <laughs> okay. Oh my gosh. We're trying to do this in twenty minutes. Okay, I'm. I'm. I'm going to be quiet for a minute. Go ahead. <laughs> No, no, don't lie to me like that. Okay. <laughs> okay, so this is the thing. They have choices to make, right? It's the choice between the tree of knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. This is, this is it, it's, it's simple, but it's, it's difficult. And so there's that choice that is set before us and it's set by other people. God set that choice before them. Like, I'd like to think that I'm in charge of even the choices that I have to make. I decide which choices I'm even going to, you know, consider. But that's not the way it works, right? Your mom says, you can have juice in the yellow cup or the blue cup, but you can't have soda. 
Like that's the, that's the, I'm like, I'd like soda. Right. No, I, that's the, no. And so the, the whole notion that we are also formed, not just by like, did I make the right choice? But the very act of choosing itself is formational. So if I choose something that is good for me, but that I don't really want to do, like, dude, like if I'm going to lift like three times a week, like I got to yeah. be up at five in the morning to do it because otherwise like it's just never going to get down. Yeah. I do not want to do that. I do not want to get up at five in the morning. Yeah. I'm not happy about this. I'm glad when I've done it. Oh, it's the best feeling in the world. Having done right, it. Right, it is. Having done <laughs> <laughs> Like so many things in life. Yeah. But it is the act of choosing to do something hard that is forming us. It's not just like, oh, lifting or working out or doing orange theory, right? right. Like you do, yeah. but like what, four or five times a week. Like it's like those things themselves are good, but it's the act of choosing that is formational. Mm. As well, so it's the choices that are put before us, before others, put before us by others, and then it's the act of choosing that is formational. And at the same time, it's also true that this this formational pattern is never apart from the larger world around us. And we live in a world that uh, you know we would think if you were to just take a poll of a hundred people and say like, well, do you want a world of beauty and goodness? Like, yes, of course we do. If you were to say, like, well, this is what the kingdom of God looks like, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and all the rest, do you, do, is that the world that you, well, yes, I, I want that, until we discover what it's going to cost us in order for that to be the kingdom, in order for that to be present. And so, like, as has been said before, I'm, I would love a world, I, I want the kingdom of God. I'm not just not so sure I want the king. I'm not so sure that I want somebody else putting the choices before mm. me. I'm not, so, I'm not so sure that I want a world that's forming me in the way that the world would want to. And, and evil being how it is, wants to form us into a different way. The world wants to form us in such a way that we are more greedy, more angry, more distracted. We have all kinds of evidence. I mean, just look around, right? Just look at our world. It doesn't take much for us to see that the world is forming us if, if left to our own devices, if the world left to its own devices, it ends up forming us into people who go to war, end up people who getting divorced, end up people who like all kind, end up people who like sexually abuse others, who are all the things. And so we recognize pretty quickly that there are these kind of tacit, that's T-A-C-I-T, if you want to check that out on the phone, Google, yeah. if you want to Google that Got word, it. tacit. Okay, these kind of like implicit, uh, like unspoken rules of how the world is operating. Uh, Peter Berger, this famous sociologist, used to talk about these plausibility structures. It's like the unspoken rules of the game of how we're supposed to operate in the world, but that nobody ever explicitly says, but that is trying to shape us in this way. Jesus himself said, look, the world and the way it tries to shape you because it does it, it's going to hate you because of me. Like, if you think, like most people, again, you take a yeah. poll. What do you think about Jesus? What do you think about Jesus? Like, I mean, like, like that, like that, that is such a, he's such a cool dude. When you think of Jesus, do you think, oh yeah, the world's going to hate him? Like, no, it's him who said like, the world's going to hate you because of me, because we're pushing against the way the world is trying to form us. You, like in Genesis, you get these two passages in the 12th and 13th chapter. Like, you want, like why, do the, why do the Hebrew writers have to say this? Abraham, he's coming, into, he's coming into the land and it says, and the Canaanites were in the land. It's reminding the reader, it's reminding the reader that like, 
Abraham's a different cat. And the Canaanites who are in the land, like that general tribe of people. I mean, these are folks who, on a regular basis, sacrificed their kids to the gods. Like, and that was just some of the that was some of their better qualities. Hmm. Right? I mean, this this is this this is how they were operating. Like, and the 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 writers are reminding us that that Abraham is journeying in a land of people who are like. It's like it 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 is a land that is going to try to form Abraham in a certain way, and Abraham's relationship with Yahweh is going to be very different. So it's, it's pressing against a lot. We get to the, the New Testament where Paul writes and says, "Don't let the world squeeze you into its mold." Paul talks about principalities and powers. Like we live in a world that is trying to form us in a particular way, and that formational process that either it's going to be a biblically formed process this by biblical like it's either a process that's being that's being run by the holy trinity by a father son spirit relationship that wants to turn us into outposts of beauty and goodness and integrity all the fruit of the spirit all the sermon on the mount we're either moving in that direction or we're moving toward chaos we're moving toward being whole or perfect even as our father in heaven is also whole or moving away from it and we are active collaborators in this formational process. But we are not, we, we can submit ourselves to the process, but we are not ultimately in charge of the process. You know, Kurt, as we look at confessional communities, I want to share with you our Being Known podcast community, something recently brought to my attention. Did you know that the world is facing a devastating global food crisis? Many factors have caused this, including the war in Ukraine, inflation, fertilizer shortages, the effect of COVID-19, and extreme weather, right? These things have all kind of collided to create this global food crisis. And as food prices climb, hunger and malnutrition in vulnerable children intensifies. And so when we learned about this crisis, we thought, what can we do about it? This is why we sought out a partnership with Compassion International. Phyllis and I have supported Compassion International for years, and we know firsthand the amazing work that they do. One of the unique things about Compassion is that they work with local churches located where the need is most urgent. This is church-driven, child-focused, Christ-centered work. And this is where we all come in. Now, here's what we're asking you to do. A one-time donation of $50. You're not going to believe what Compassion International can do with this $50. They feed a family of five for a full month wow. with that $50 donation. Wow. Now, we get to be a part of this work, right? Compassion International empowers people from their own community to help. This is locally sourced food delivered neighbor to neighbor. And, you know, I love this because when help does arrive, it arrives with a familiar face at the door. And we certainly hope this helps the families and children feel seen, soothed, safe, and secure in addition to feeding them. Hmm. These interventions help families return to normal so children can experience healthy development and thrive in their God-given potential. We really need your help here. So go to Compassion.com forward slash known. That's C-O-M-P-A-S-S-I-O-N dot com 
forward slash known. Make a $50 donation and feed a family of five for a month. We'll have a link in the show notes as well. Please join us. And then it turns out that we are most durably and deeply formed by the relational interactions that we have and with ones with the people that we're most commonly engaged. So that's our, so it's like, who are the people I'm hanging out with? By whom are we most deeply known? And it's possible that some of us might say, oh, I think I'm most deeply known by my iPhone 13. If you were to look at actually, actually like how we spend our time hmm. and to what am I most commonly turning my attention? And so the degree to which we are attuned to the community of people and to those things that we are submitting ourselves to being formed is really important. And so these confessional communities, they are not just a way for us to enter into some kind of group therapy setting where I can get my needs met. I'm depressed. I'm anxious. I have a tough marriage. I want to go in and like, I want to get that stuff solved. You know, these are, these are communities whose intention it is to be an outpost of God's Trinitarian formational work on purpose. That's what we really want to attune to. Some of those dynamics that are important when we consider the formational structure of a confessional community is that, first of all, we just assume, but we consciously, we name this, we assume the presence and activity of the Holy Spirit and the triune God in the room. And that the Spirit has an intention. The Spirit's not like a chair. Chair just happens to be there, but like doesn't have any purpose. No, the Spirit has a purpose to form us into the image of Jesus, to that, that we become people who are bearing the fruit of the Spirit that Jesus talks about. I'm, I'm the vine, you're the branches, but I've formed you to bear fruit that will last. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, so forth. Pursuant to our last, uh, our last series, that we are to become wisdom walkers. Hmm. We are people who, when we walk around in the middle of this, that people will turn to us and say, that's a person of wisdom. A person might not even know everything there is to know that could be known. They might not have all the information, but this is a person of wisdom. This is a person who, when I see their life and I read the Sermon on the Mount, they look an awful lot alike. Mm -hmm. They might not be exactly alike, but they look an awful lot alike. And we also assume that this is, this is a, this, this process of being in a confessional community is a corporate act of ongoing prayer. If we believe that prayer is an act of speaking and listening to God, and if we believe that this is the body of Jesus in which the Spirit dwells, then that conversation is taking place all the time. We've talked about the biblical narrative, the Bible being a structure that's a hard deck for us. We want to weave all the elements of that. We've talked about this in previous uh, in previous. Uh, sessions, but we want to know that this is this is not a thing where we just quote a verse. We're not, you know, kind of like just, you know, citing some text and applying it out of the context of the conversation. We want our conversation to be consciously reflective of what we remember and recall from the text, and let that text also mirror on and to map the progression of the community. So it's a this formational community that is grounded in a biblical narrative and all that that means. 
And we are going to access and use a lot of what we've learned about interpersonal neurobiology, this whole notion that this is the material world. And it's not a material or spiritual world. It's the material world. It's the mechanics that are not just behind the work, but it's how the world works. And we imagine those mechanics prophetically. We're weaving the mechanics of neuroscience in with the biblical narrative. And we're making those things that are happening in the room that are implicit, the glances, the facial changes. We want to make those explicit. Like We're going to stop and name those things. And then there are all of the group psychotherapy dynamics that are taking place. And as we progress here in our series, we're going to talk more and more about that. We just know that there are multiple layers of experience. But we want to know that like part of why we're in a group and not just individual therapy, not just having a conversation with a pastor, what we're really doing is that we are recognizing that there's greater risk. If I'm going to reveal my vulnerable self in front of seven or eight people, that's different than just doing it in front of one person. But the reward is also compounding. And then we, we see that what we're doing is we're practicing becoming more durably formed into the image of Jesus. You don't have to be a therapist to do this. You don't have to be well-trained in group dynamics to do it. But in the course of, these, of this work, you will become you know, kind of more familiar with how group systems work and so forth. We like to say in which we like to say that, you know, everything that we do in a conventional community happens in real life. There's nothing that happens in this room that doesn't happen in the real world. But what we're doing in the room is that we are making everything explicit that happens in your checkout line in Safeway, that happens in your kitchen, that happens in your family, that happens in the boardroom, that happens when you're in your worship community. Everything that's happening in the room of a confessional community happens out there. It's just that here, we're not pretending that it's not happening. We're going to name that it happens. And the more able we are to put language to and to put words to what's happening that we're coming to, to discover, in the language of neuroscience, in the language of the biblical text, we are naming to tame. We name things to tame things. And we are reenacting the second sentence in the Bible. And the world was chaotic and dark and the spirit of God hovered over the chaos. He hovered. He was a presence. He was with. He wasn't at war. He wasn't part of the chaos. He was with the chaos. And then what did he do? He didn't become violent. He spoke. And when he spoke, he brought order and purpose. He's forming the world in the first page of the Bible. And this is what we do in the confessional community. We are being formed by speaking in order to bring Order and purpose, beauty and goodness, outposts of all those things. This is not the same thing as church, but it's close. Because we, we, what we want to say is that these confessional communities are extensions of what the church is about. Without having a homily, without having the Eucharist, without having worship music, it still is our purpose and intentionality for us to be formed into the image of the king such that these groups themselves become outposts. The body of Jesus, to whom people will look and glorify our Father in heaven. And so it's, it's important as we uh, continue in this series that we uh, be curious about by what and by whom am I being formed? And uh, before we get to our application for the day, 
got an artistic offering and dude, take it away. Yeah. So when, Kurt, when you told me that we were going to be talking about formation today, I started thinking about one of my favorite bands, which is U2. Mm. I remember I read a book of interviews with Bono, the lead singer of U2, where he was posed the question of, of who is the greatest like pop songwriter. And in his opinion at the time, it was Prince. But he said the problem is Prince didn't have a band. So therefore, he would put out 34 songs and three of them would be genius. And a lot of them might not be that good because he didn't have the, the band that was pushing back on him, trying to make him better, trying to, hmm. you know, being able to say, you know, good job or, or let's work on this some more and, and really form him. And so, mm-hmm. so when I was in college, U2 was coming into the scene and, and I was a DJ in college and I, I was, <laughs> I was, uh, I had a show that was like, they were called it alternative music. And at the time U2 was like alternative music. I mean, it was not mainstream really at all. Wow. And they, they blew up, right? Obviously. Mm-hmm. And by the late eighties, they were superstars, but, mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. you can imagine the pressure of, you know, people of, of that fame and, and, you know, young guys from Dublin, Ireland that, you know, it, it was, it was not all great, you know, it was difficult and they were beginning to struggle as a band. These, these guys that had been forming each other for years since their, you know, really their childhood and they were about ready to break up and, uh, they decided to go to, uh, Dublin or to, uh, Berlin to, you know, give it another shot and go to the studio and, and try to see if they could make it happen. But musically, they were wanting to go in different directions and it just wasn't really working until the guitar player, The Edge, started working with this these chords he was playing. He just kept kept playing them over and over again and, and it, it kind of struck the guys musically and these chord progressions and they latched onto it and then some lyrics started coming and mm. eventually mm. the song titled One was created. Holy cow. And gives me it, it, like gives me goosebumps. It's an unbelievable. So I love this song. And the 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 fact that they they made this song and created this song, which was at the time a lot about breaking up as a band, but then deciding at the end to reconcile and and continue on. This song really saved the band and allowed them to collectively continue to go out into the world and create beauty. And mm, mm. so the song, I, the, the, the song starts with questions. Is it getting, is it getting better or do you feel the same? Will it, will it make it easier on you now? You got someone to blame. You know, you, you say mm. one love, mm. one life when it's one need in the night, one love, we get to share it leaves you baby. If you don't care for it. And then he asks the question, did I disappoint you? Leave a bad taste in your mouth. You act like you never had love. You want me to go without. And then he says, well, it's too late to drag the past out into the light. We're one, but we're not the same. And I love this line. We get to carry each other, carry each other. And then he asks the questions that, that, that I think are beautiful questions. Have you come here for, for forgiveness? Have you come to raise the dead? Have you come here to play mm. Jesus to the lepers in your head? I, I mean, mm. right? Dude, 
and goes on, you know, did I ask too much? And, and goes, goes, these, these questions go on. And then he, the, the, the reconciliation starts to happen. And, and he says, you know, we got one love, one blood, one life. You got to do what you should. One life with each other, sister, brothers, mm-hmm. one life, but we're not the same. We get to carry each other, carry each other. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I just, mm-hmm. I just love this song and I, I love how it, it helped them continue with their formation with one another. And it's, it's become a, an anthem for, uh, for it's, it's become a lot more than what the song was written. You know how I, I think that, that a song can be written to mean just one thing to one person, but it, it can become a song that means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Bono said that yeah. he, he likes to think that the frame of this song is strong enough to hang a lot more stories on it other than the ones that he was not mm-hmm. finishing. And he said he feels like this is, yeah. in this particular song, it's, a, it's an unfinished song that the listener then gets to finish, which I thought was a beautiful mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I, 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 I yeah. encourage people to go... Listen to that song. We'll have it linked to the show notes, and I hope you hope you enjoy it as much as I do. Well, I, I love that. That this just when when we were talking about this in an earlier in the week, when you you know reflected, I think this would be an right. something to share for us. I'm I like I nearly came out of my shoes when you started talking about this. It just it's just so great, and I I love this idea that we get right. to carry each other. Not right. I have to. But I get, and I, I like, I feel that with you and me. Yeah, I, I know that you. I, I, yeah, and I'm with and with Amy. Like I, I just that's it's it's such a privilege to to do life. I mean, even from a distance. I mean, as as much as we're able to do life together, and that I, and I feel that I feel being carried by you and by Amy. And uh, this morning we're having a conversation about something that I'm like that's banging around in my head and creating distress for me before we started this recording. And like I'm in a different place now because. You guys are in my life, and uh, that's just a beautiful thing. I'm being formed by you. I'm being formed, been formed by this, by this, you know, this enterprise, this this podcast experience. Just we sense the spirit's presence and doing the work yeah. with within us and between us and through us. So, so uh, yeah, application. Yeah. So the application for this week, we want to consider reflecting on what those things are that have formed you, and that are forming you. Consider particular relationships, particular habits that you, that you practice, and particular messages that you receive, often non-consciously, from the world. Consider how challenging you believe it will be to make a shift in your participation in the system that will most durably form you. Consider the ways you long to be formed differently than some of the ways you are currently being formed. So then write them down, keep them handy to compare later to what you discover over the course of being part of a confessional community and as you start to experience being formed in a confessional community. And yeah, yeah, yeah. This, is, uh, this is great, Kurt. I can't wait to learn more about the confessional community and I'm grateful that you're in my life and that we are um, in the process of forming one another. Yeah, yeah. right on. Thanks be to God. All right, if you're watching on YouTube, stick around because right, uh, Amy's gonna be joining us here in just a couple of seconds. Love you, Kurt. Love you, man. This podcast is produced by Kurt Thompson, Pepper Sweeney, and myself, Amy Chella. Audio production and editing is by Keaton Simons. Video production and editing is by Mark Gould. Speaking of videos, 
Each week, we post the video version of every episode to our YouTube channel. You can find us on YouTube by going to youtube.com or your app and searching Being Known Podcast. If you'd like to connect with us, you can find us on social media at Being Known Pod. If you like this podcast, tell a friend. Tell all of your friends. And please like, rate, and review. Be well, be known.